capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. The ability to have a civil discourse, to come alongside elected officials, to come alongside leaders uh, in a non-political, non-lobbying form, and have, again, I have those conversations that I just haven't seen in state politics before. I mean, when I first came into office, you know, there, there, there were discussions that were happening, but nothing to the scale of, of what capital culture is trying to do. Um, and not to the extent of, of everything, all, all the conversations that capital culture is trying to, to work with members who, again, are on opposite sides of things. What is happening is leadership training. What is happening is leadership equipping. It's extremely encouraging and something that we haven't seen before. Really excited to, to see where, uh, where it goes from here. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I am your host, Joel Harder. Today on the podcast, I have a conversation with Josh Cockroft. Josh is a former member of the Oklahoma House of Representatives, and he represented District 27 from 2010 to 2018. He has served as a member of the House leadership under two different speakers. He was an assistant majority whip, a presiding officer in the House. He served as the chairman of the House Rules Committee and as the chairman of the House Special Investigative Committee. One of the most important things we need in our leaders is integrity. We talk a lot about promoting integrity through the work of Oklahoma Capital Culture. What do you do when members of an elected body or an institution itself seems to have compromised integrity or there are allegations of compromised integrity? The way in which we as a culture, as a society, as the various people and leadership in these institutions handle these allegations and navigate preserving both the integrity of the institution and the people who serve in those institutions is so important. We're going to have a conversation with Josh about just that work. Josh also serves as a founding member of the board of directors for Oklahoma Capital Culture. He's a good friend, and I'm deeply privileged and honored to get to work alongside him through Oklahoma Capital Culture. Before we get into the conversation with Josh Cockcroft, I want to invite you to follow this podcast. You can subscribe whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast. You can rate us. You can also give us a comment. Let us know what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and share these podcasts with people you know. That is one of the most helpful ways to get more people engaged in the conversations that really are making a difference, that are shaping the leadership culture and are transforming the political dialogue that's happening in our state, in communities across our state, and in our nation. 
Well, let's get to the conversation with Josh Cockroft today on The Leaders We Need. When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. In When Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. Well, Josh, thanks so much for joining me today. I guess to get things started off the bat, uh, OSU's having a decent year. Just a few wins so far. <laughs> Only first in the Big 12. Well, okay, tied for first, but yeah. um, but number seven in the country. Hey, we're, we're happy right now until they let us down again. You know, <laughs> this is a year to confound all years. That's right. So Why not? So why, why not be first in the Big I was 12? supposed to go to Waco this weekend for the Baylor-OSU game, and it got rescheduled for December, so I'm hoping I get to go down. Well, it's saving and, you a little heartbreak. For you know, right now. well, every time I actually go uh, to Baylor to watch a Baylor game against either OU or OSU, Baylor loses. And when I'm not there, they win. So I may root for OSU. Just don't go to the game in December. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Josh, I really am excited to have you on the podcast. Your leadership experience spans a number of arenas in your community, as a pastor at church, serving in elected office in the state capitol, uh, and now uh, in a very important industry in our state through the Oklahoma Realtors Association. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Well, I want to start with a question that I like to ask everyone who joins the podcast. What were some of your experiences Maybe look back, even even years back on your life, maybe at the time you didn't see as significant speaking into your leadership, but now as you reflect, they really were important mentors, people in your life or experiences that really shaped what you're doing now. Well, before, I mean, for the last decade, I've been in the in or around the political arena in the state of Oklahoma. But if you look before that, I was in high school. Um, so yeah. uh, I, w- I was elected at the age of 21 uh, to the Oklahoma House of Representatives. So if you go kind of before that of what set the stage, um, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. Um, my family, uh, I'm one of eight kids, and my mom and dad um, have really instilled in, in each of their kids uh, the importance of the calling that each of us have been given uh, by Christ, um, and one of my favorite verses that's that's that began in high school is is in Colossians four, talking about uh, to make the most of every opportunity. And I think yeah. no matter where we are in our lives, we've been put in that position or that place, that time, whatever that is, to make the most of an opportunity. And so growing up. Um, you know, I, I can look back at my years at home going through high school 
and seeing just little things that, uh, whether it was in ministry, uh, whether it was uh, beginning that to, beginning to whet the political appetite, right? Um, that 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 kind of set me on this course now uh, that I can say shaped you know my my worldview, shaped my my attitude towards my fellow man around me. Um, and just started to, to, to move me in that direction. And I, I didn't know where that was leading, but mm-hmm. uh, as it turns out, it was into the political arena pretty much right after high school. Yeah. Well, you said it whet your political appetite. One of the things I, I always discover when I talk to elected leaders is that maybe there's an interest, a passion for serving in office or, or being part of the policymaking process, but there, there was usually something mm-hmm. that kind of put them over the edge. Yeah. And what was that for you to put yourself, put your family through the rigors of campaigns, but to pursue office, what was that for you? For me, it started in ministry. Um, that, that process, I, I've, I've served in ministry since I was 16 years old, uh, started as a worship pastor at 16 been a youth pastor, I've been an executive pastor, um, but throughout that time, through my late high school years, I also became involved with a, a student leadership organization that had the opportunity to travel around the United States and teach leadership and teach, uh, teach state government uh, and the political process uh, in 42 of the 50s state capitals across the country. And so I was able, it, it was for high school students. I was teaching uh, people my age about that process. And that's, that's where that political appetite began yeah. to, to, to grow because uh, I, with the understanding and the things that I was learning in ministry and then realizing that even as a young person, as a young adult, my calling again was to make the most of every opportunity of where God was placing me. Um, Again, just those little things that led up to, in 2010, uh, my local seat was opened, uh, and it was an open seat. In the House of Representatives. In the House of Representatives, yeah, Yeah, and and I felt like it was time, Um, and I felt like God was telling me it was time to run, and I did, never expecting to win. Yeah. Uh, Turns out I had a primary, I had a runoff and a general election that that year, Um, and lo and behold, on Jan- in November of 2010, was elected yeah, uh, yeah. and served eight years past that. Yeah, you have a unique perspective. Obviously, up until very recently, you were serving in the legislature, and now you're still very much involved in the policymaking community, but in a different capacity mm-hmm. than as a sitting representative. You and I both know, and we talk about this a lot, but you know the public perception. It's pretty stark when it comes to the state of political discourse. In 2018, uh, an organization called More in Common found 93% of America's uh, American adults were saying incivility is a real problem in our nation, particularly in the political discourse. But uh, other studies have found that 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 sentiment is really, it's not just staying in politics, it's, it's making its way into all arenas of our lives. But I want to start with a positive, okay? Despite 
the public perception of incivility. How have you seen Oklahoma's elected leaders really working well together and maybe across partisan or policy divides here in the Oklahoma state capitol? I think difficult times when you are forced into or uh, are in or around difficult times in the political arena, it forces conversations. And those conversations can be difficult as well. Uh, One thing that I have seen over the last several years is while our state has struggled in one aspect or the other, whether it's budgetary from a financial standpoint, from a policy standpoint, there have been a lot of challenges that our elected officials have had to to face head on, and that has created an atmosphere where there have there there has to be dialogue going back and forth. Yeah. And so I, I think the positive for me is that there are conversations that are happening, like you said, across. across political divides, across policy divides that wouldn't be happening right now if we weren't in a tough time. Uh, Sometimes it takes that fire to to refine that product. Um, And so that positive, the positive I see from that is those conversations are finally happening and it's causing people to be real. Uh, It's causing people to stop and think, not just draw a battle line, but to actually talk about how we can find commonality in our beliefs, even if mine is completely opposite of yours. How do we come together for the betterment of the state, uh, for the betterment of our communities, for the betterment of our families? And and those those conversations are painful, but they're productive yeah. as well. What does that do to the relationships? I, th- I think it's a little iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Um, it... It forces uncomfortable conversations, mm-hmm. but we're in a society where uncomfortable, uh, being uncomfortable is is a bad thing, and it's not always a bad thing. Yeah. Um, having those conversations and working through our differences, I think what it does to the relationships is it causes us, from a personal level, to be real with one another, mm. which transfers over into the professional and the political uh, levels as well, because if you're being real at a personal level uh, and 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 opening yourself up and having those conversations and working with one another, that can't not transfer to other areas yeah. um, and how you see your fellow uh, fellow man. I think it's interesting to see unexpected friendships do mm. also emerge. Um, there, you know, there is something about going through a fire yep. that forges uh, a bond between people. And I, I always think of the line the, from the St. Crispin's Day speech in Henry V, where, mm. you know, the king is is rallying the courage of all of these soldiers that have really become friends. He's rallying their courage and he says, you know, we few, we happy few, we mm. band of brothers. Mm. For any who will shed his blood with me this day is a brother. And, of course, that's the line that Stephen Ambrose (laughs) used in his book about the 101st Airborne, which got turned into the miniseries Band of Brothers. And there's something about going through a fire together that forges you. Uh, It's not that those differences aren't real. It's not Mm. that those conversations aren't hard. and, And yet 
there can be friendships that emerge out of it. Yeah, it, not only are they real, but sometimes they're unexpected too. Yeah. I mean, the, there are individuals that I served with in the House of Representatives that walking into elected office, if you had asked me, would I be a, a you know a friend or even have a whole lot of conversations with this particular individual? I would have probably laughed. Um, yeah. But it's that going through that process together, and there are individuals who probably we're probably uh, you know there's 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 miles between our positions. Yeah. But at the same time, we're I, I'm better friends and have a better relationship with those individuals than I do with with people that. Are that believe almost exactly like I do. So yeah. it's it's a it's an iron sharpens iron. Yeah, that's some of the positive. Let's talk about some of the negative. <laughs> From your unique perspective, what are the challenges that you see to productive dialogue at the state level in particular? Yeah, I think it's I think the answer is the same across the board, whether you're talking local, state, or national. Um, we live in a society who lives off of headlines yeah. and we live in a society where individuals aren't willing to have those conversations because we think that, and, I, and when I say we, I'm pointing to me as well. We think that we've got all the answers mm-hmm. based off of our limited knowledge. And that's just simply not the truth. Um, and, and I think the challenge for our state in particular is individuals um and us collectively uh, not willing to to sit down to put our differences aside and learn about the other side. You cannot fix a problem unless you understand where the other person's coming from. Mm. Um, and it, it, it that takes humility. Yeah. But it's it, it takes going beyond just reading something off of Twitter. Uh, I, I, I've referred to it before as... Uh, 140 character society is what we're living in yeah. and and Twitter changed it and now you can do t- 280 characters but so we're living in the 280 character society where we see that little blip of information and that's all we go off of and we and we form everything around that there's so much more to our state from a policy level from a personal level from a leader level um, it's going beyond the policies and realizing there there are people behind yeah. behind and beyond those policies whether that's someone at 23rd Lincoln or someone in Poto Oklahoma yeah. um, so I, I, I think that's the challenge that each of us have to make a conscious effort to get beyond so that we can begin to build those bridges I hear this a lot and it comes up as I talk to leaders it really is a hard long endeavor mm. to first, build real relationships Hmm. with people. Uh, Those differences and those difficult conversations matter. And navigating differences and creating innovative solutions, that's that's the task and that's part of the process. But what you've just said, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it quite this way, is before you even have that conversation, set that aside to just to just hear the perspective, mm. to to get to know where they're coming from, uh, to build an actual relationship with them as a, as a peer, as a colleague. And then you can have those substantive, difficult conversations on the policy level. Right. It, it's 
but there's that first step of just building that relationship. Find the commonality. Yeah. Find where you can agree. Mm-hmm. Um, because every conversation after that, no matter how hard it gets, you've got something to fall back on. Yeah. If you start talking about your differences, if you start arguing with one another, you got nothing to fall back on. Mm. But find where you can agree. Find areas where you can come alongside each other and and have that respectful dialogue and learn about each other so that if you do hit speed bumps later down the road and areas you just can't agree with on on policy or po- what whatever it is, you've got something to fall back on. Yeah. What do you wish people knew was happening in the Capitol that maybe they don't know? Politics becomes siloed from the rest of society and uh the 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 uh, the the public perception is that it's an us against them or you know a, a you've got the people sitting in the capitol or you've got people sitting on capitol hill in dc and the, these people are so far removed having served there for eight years i can tell you that there are people in elected office that deeply care that want to listen that yes, they may have different views than you do, but they also are deeply loved mm-hmm. by God. That they are able to, um, that they are able to, and they want to have that conversation with someone, uh, and and they want to further our state. There's not a person that's that that is elected that serves at 23rd and Lincoln in Oklahoma City who doesn't want what's best for Oklahoma. It's just that we all might have different ideas of how to get there. Hmm. Uh, but again, it goes back to that having that humility and that, that, that desire to have that conversation, to build that relationship, that unless you do that, you're not going to be able to see what their heart is mm-hmm. as well. Um, there are a lot of issues that our elected officials in the state capitol work on the majority of the public don't even hear about and, and don't even know. So coming together and, and, and realizing that those individuals are working for our state, it may just be a little bit different looking yeah. than what we, you know, what, what I, what you may, may want. But there are people that care yeah. um, and are working on behalf of their constituents, working on behalf of the state of Oklahoma, and working to have those positive dialogues. Absolutely, and and I want to go back to how you, you know, what you said a few minutes ago, because often we may think of those building relationships and finding common ground and uh, being able to work together, and we hear that and we think we think of that happening amongst elected leaders themselves. But you made the point that. Elected leaders are, are not uh, siloed off mm. in, in a separate space. All of us uh, have the opportunity to interact with them, engage with them, be part of, uh, be part of that conversation dialogue as well. And, and leaders are approachable. You know, the book that uh, is available now from, from Capital Culture, When Leaders Matter, it's all about understanding a simple approach, a method everyday people from all walks of life can use to engage leaders mm-hmm. and encourage them to be better leaders. This is also why we why we do the leaders we need podcast. Mm. 
is to have these kinds of conversations and and help others to see and know and and get to know the people that are leading in our state so that they can find the opportunities themselves to be part of encouraging and shaping and uh, shaping the leadership culture and engaging them. And, you know, it's a blessing to live in representative democracy. That's we what, get to engage with our leaders. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. It's, it's, it's much more than an opportunity. It's, I think it's a responsibility mm-hmm. um, because of the system of government that our nation has. And I think we're blessed to have it. Um, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to engage with our leaders and yet there's there's something that is crept into our our society our culture that kind of creates a barrier mm. between us mm-hmm. that's what i'm hearing you to say yeah and cross that barrier it's not it, it, you can do it that's right so, josh i want to shift gears and talk about the issue of integrity and one of the pillars of our mission at capital culture is to promote integrity uh, among our leaders and a few years ago the Speaker of the House appointed you to a very important role and task. You chaired two investigative committees that was looking into allegations of compromised integrity. You know, preserving the integrity of the institution and those who serve in it is no small task. And uh, I would just like to say now, if if I didn't say then, that you know, simply being selected to chair those committees really says a lot uh, of the speaker's opinion of you. Uh, and so I, I want to thank you again for serving in that role at that time. But I wanted to ask you, how, how do you prepare to chair such a committee? Do you, do you have any specific objectives, goals from the outset? How do you get started in that process? Well, it does say a lot about the speaker's opinion. Either he trusts me or he really didn't like me <laughs> to, put, to put me in this role. I, I still tease him to this day about this. Yeah. but no, I, know, I, I know which one it is. Yeah. By the way, so. <laughs> um, you know, this was, I, I look back at this time in my life, both personally and professionally. This was the most challenging time of my life. Yeah. Um, being put into a situation where, literally all eyes on me Mm -hmm. on how I was acting or reacting Uh, very difficult situations it was two different instances one were uh, one uh, was for uh, some individuals uh, my colleagues that uh, some compromised integrity like you Mm -hmm. said allegations of compromised integrity one was for an institution Mm -hmm. of compromised integrity and and how uh, policies were being uh played out and and tax dollars were being used very very difficult situation in both instances this was all within the span of about 12 14 months wow. that both of these happened um but i look back now and it, it, it was a very difficult time and a lot of things were were had to be worked through but looking back now i wouldn't change anything yeah because you're talking, how do you prepare for that? And if you had asked me at the beginning that question of, you know, back then, how are you going to prepare for this? I would have had no clue. Yeah. Um, the, one, you know, the, the one thing going into that first investigative committee, knowing I was in charge of some massive responsibilities, all eyes were going to be on this committee and my actions and my words. I remember 
just taking a few moments and just collecting my thoughts a little bit before we really dove into some some things and realizing that I was going to have to make some very tough decisions in the next few days and weeks and possibly months. But knowing that no matter what those decisions were, I had an opportunity and, again, a responsibility to project integrity. Yeah to project humility and it would readily be seen by potentially millions of Oklahomans um, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of a hard time. Um, And that was something that I always tried to keep in the back of my head whenever uh, we were going through that work as a committee, whether the cameras were rolling, uh, you know, the, the, the detail of cameras that rushed around the halls following me on, yeah. on the news every night, knowing that I was going to be portraying something in this difficult situation, in this role of leadership. And I had the choice of what that something would be. Would it be integrity, integrity in the face of non-integrity? Yeah. Would it be humility in the face of non-humility? Um, based on those situations... And I tried to keep that in mind that whole time. Yeah, that's so important because leaders do matter. And the work of leaders is very important and affects many people. But leaders also play a a function in our society. We look to leaders. So there's the actual work of a leader, in your case, chairing this committee, going through uh, the process that you had to go through to look into allegations. But then there's also the role of leading by example, modeling, knowing that, that we are looking to you. Being a leader of integrity is doing both, doing the work with skill and excellence, and also modeling and leading with integrity because we're looking to leaders. And especially in times of, of crisis or controversy. We're looking to leaders. Now that we're a couple years down the road, you can look back on the work of the committee. Do you believe that that you were successful? Yeah, I think think we were. Um, And I say we because I was simply chairing the committee and there were 10 to 15 members on each of these committees that, that worked tirelessly alongside myself and staff and legal team and all of that. Um, but I think, so, so yes, we, I think we were able to preserve the integrity of both individuals and institutions uh, in, this, in both of these instances. It wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. It was painful. Mm-hmm. Um, again, some of the toughest times in my life professionally and personally. But... Um, Sometimes you have to, as a leader, you have to go through those painful times mm-hmm. so that you can live and learn, so that you can continue on down the path. Um, and you don't always get the praise for it. That's the thing is, you know, the, yeah. the, when, when it comes to politics and, the, you know, these, both of these instances were shrouded in politics and, yeah. you know, there's always going to be detractors. There's always going to be people that, that have a different opinion than, than what we were working on mm-hmm. in that committee. But um, it was important to us that we take those steps, 
that we uh, protect the integrity of both individuals and institutions. Um, and looking back now, um, it in the grand scheme of things, it looks like a blip on the radar. Mm. And I think that speaks to the job that the committee did, mm -hmm. um, that it doesn't seem like that big of a deal uh, mm -hmm. several years later. And I think that's a testament to the work and the, the, the upholding of the integrity by yeah. the individuals as well as the institutions. Yeah. I also look back to your comment about the challenge of the you know, Twitter <laughs> culture we're in, desire for immediacy or immediate resolution, whether it's to, you know, establish a position or demolish a position. Mm. What I learned from your experience and what you're sharing is to truly promote and preserve integrity doesn't happen in a tweet. Mm. It was months and months of diligent, careful work by yourself and those who served with you. One of the things that we can maybe lose sight of in our culture today is things that take time can be timeless. Hmm. Part of navigating out of the incivility and the hostility in our culture is to is to remember uh, that there is tomorrow and there's work to be done. And preserving integrity is not something that happens overnight. Hmm. It's something that, that takes time. And these processes can work. And we need leaders who will faithfully do that work. Mm. So, well, we're, we're running out of time. You know, as you look at the state of things today, culture, politics, public discourse, what gives you the most hope that things are going to get better? I'm seeing conversations and dialogue and articles and people you know, on, on all the social media platforms, whatever, however you take your information, your, your knowledge, um, I'm seeing conversations that are happening that I have not experienced mm. happening. Um, bring it back to state politics. I'm seeing leaders have those discussions that nobody was having in, in, the last 10 years or 20 years um and back to your point about it, it's gonna take time sometimes you know upholding integrity it doesn't happen with one tweet right there's there nothing's gonna be perfect overnight you're not gonna find all the answers overnight especially in politics um it's a long slow grind to, to try to move that massive ship down the river. It reminds me of the line, it's the dark night of the soul. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's going to take time, but I'm seeing conversations, and I, I'm seeing institutions that have been set up like capital culture, like, like tools and resources that are being put into individuals' hands to not just take a, a tweet for for your your source of information, but to actually dig in and dive in and think and reason, I'm seeing a lot of evidence of thought and reason coming back into our culture and, and a lot of the circles that I see uh, and am in and around. And that's encouraging mm -hmm. to me that those conversations are ha being had um, and that dialogue is, is beginning. It's really refreshing to mm -hmm. see. Well, Josh, I, I get the great privilege of getting to work with you on a more regular basis because you're a founding member of 
the board of directors for Capital Culture. And, and I would like to ask you, again, your unique perspective. You served in elected office. You, you're still involved in the policymaking community, have a lot of relationships in that arena, uh, and now are serving on the board of Capital Culture. Where do you see our organization making the most impact? Capital Culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. Um, the ability to have a civil discourse, to come alongside elected officials, to come alongside leaders uh, in a non-political, non-lobbying form, and have, again, have those conversations that I just haven't seen in state politics before. I mean, when I first came into office, you know, there, there, there were discussions that were happening, but nothing to the scale of, of what capital culture is trying to do, um, and not to the extent of, of everything, all, all the conversations that capital culture is trying to, to work with members who, again, are on opposite sides of things. Uh, not, uh, not in a, you've got to come over to our side and see things from capital culture's way, not from a, you know, you know, here's a particular policy, you need to fight for this, or here's where you're wrong in this policy. None of that's happening with ca capital culture. What is happening is leadership training. What is happening is leadership equipping and making sure that people in positions of influence understand and know that they have someone who and, and and something in capital culture who's got their back and is willing to listen is willing to come alongside them and help and ask questions and and begin that dialogue it's extremely encouraging and something that we haven't seen before really excited to to see where uh where it goes from here Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.